delighted to be your life coaches right here on the airwaves every week and we offer you the success steps and tools for living to get your energy pumped and help you live your dreams in the coaching corner today my success sister libby gill and i will be talking about our houses and what they have to say to us when we have a heart to heart with our house and then sex is our second topic with pulitzer prize winning journalist Laura Sessions steps when she talks about how young women are pursuing sex to conquer men and be in control today with her book, Unhooked. And then it's back to the barnyard where I love to hang out, where all the critters definitely rule the roost with Bob Tart and his new book, Foul Weather. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Life Coach Libby Gill for expert advice and success strategies. Visit www.libbygill.com. And this is from Isabel Holland. As long as you don't forgive, who and whatever it is will occupy your mind rent-free. How true that is. Well, we are talking about the, uh, the houses today. And you might have had this kind of conversation to your house when you've been having a heart-to-house. You never pay any attention to me anymore. Oh, I'm just too busy right now, but you know how I feel about you. But if I'm really important to you, you need to show it every once in a while. I'm sorry I've been neglecting you. I promise I'll do better. <laughs> Does that sound like something, a lover's quarrel or a fight, something that you do? Well, it might sound like it, but that was actually a conversation that I had with my house. I, I recently, well, Cynthia, I know homes and houses and decorating are really important to you. That's been a huge part of your career. Yes, yes, because I, ha- I have done 20 years of professional interior design and a member of American Society of Interior Designers, so I love this topic. Okay. Well, I, I'm not any kind of pro, but my house is, is really important to me. And, and one of my buddies, she's a fine artist and she's also a feng shui expert, who does a lot in the real estate community, a woman named Arita, Anita Rosenberg came over, and, and I told her my house was feeling kind of a little sad and run down, and it was time to do something. And she came in and said, wow, it is really feeling neglected here. You need to have a discussion with your house about your long-term plans. Well, that, I love that idea of having a discussion, though, with your house. I mean, if you talk to your flowers, why not talk to your house? Exactly. And it wasn't, I had not expected to have the big relationship talk with my house, <laughs> but that's what we did. And, and she and I, Anita, and I went room by room, and her words are still ringing in my ear because she told me to take note of anything that was less than excellent. And, uh, and there were a few things because I had moved into my house after I'd gotten divorced. And I wanted, my ex-husband and I wanted to live, you know, close together. We're about 10 minutes apart. 
So I found this great little house in just kind of a little quiet neighborhood, and I, at that point I had, I had looked at, I don't know, it felt like hundreds or thousands of houses, but I found my house, and I wanted to very quickly throw it together, you know, so my boys would be comfortable, and I, I did the whole, you know, the flea market and all the bargain things, and just kind of threw this whole house together, and it was so cozy and cute, but now, four years later, my shabby chic was just feeling plain old shabby. So we decided to start with a walkthrough, and I started at the front door and really thought about, you know, how I wanted to feel when I set foot inside my home or when I was on my way out to kind of take on the world for the day. And that became the real focal point of starting to really look at what my house said to me but also said what it said about me. Well, you know, your house has to be your sanctuary and your castle and all those kind of good things. So you did the right thing, Libby, by starting off by doing a walk through your house, and you started at the front door. So I would say that's success step number one. Right. Walk through the house room by room, start at the front door, and really look at those spots that are crying out to you that are less than excellent. So I had my chat in a room by room. And really started to think, and, and I've always been a homebody, and, and surroundings are important to me, but I'll tell you, I'm, um, you might say I've been called frugal before, Cynthia. So yeah, but that's a good thing, though. You know, you, you can be frugal. You know, Heather always would say that frugal can be fabulous, but you just have to know how to do it. That's right. That's good. So, and I'd also spent time on, you know, the business and kind of getting settled again. So my house had not been very high on the list, and it's, as Anita pointed out very kindly, uh, but somewhat bluntly, your house is neglected. Let's look at this and look at that. And, and I really began to think about, you know, I had a lot of colors that i just kind of thrown it all together, and it just didn't speak to me any longer. And, and what you said about having a sanctuary, I started to think about the colors that I love in my, in my clothes. And, and I'm, you know, I've got, like you, I've got... The blues got the blue eyes and the blue clothes, and, and and I really thought I love to be surrounded by those ocean colors, and I needed a more soothing kind of a sanctuary. So I decided I would change everything and go with a kind of a blue and and light brown and tan palette that to me was much more sophisticated than that kind of shabby chic, but it also was was really comforting and it was a much more soothing kind of stylish palette, and that's where I started. Well, I think what you said um, is very crucial is that it spoke to you and one of the things that I always tell people when they are designing or redesigning or making over their homes is don't go with the trends because trends are just that create your own style and do something that calls out to you that when you're surrounded by these colors and textures and and um, fabrics that you really feel good about it so blues and browns and tans are just perfect for you that you look great in those colors but isn't it funny that we'll go i mean i love the jewel tones and i've got in my in my wardrobe i mean it's all these cobalts and purples and Yet somehow I just, you know, I hadn't quite incorporated the colors I really loved. And I, I have a friend who's got a a den that was inspired by one of those old 1940s, um, like a, it's a, a peaches, you know, you're selling peaches. It's an advertising. That's what I'm trying to yeah, say. It's in yeah. the 40s. And she painted her den bright orange with this sort of cobalt blue accents everywhere. And it's wild. It's too much for me because I need a sense of peacefulness. 
but she just absolutely loved it. And, yeah, and, and you just, that's so right. It had, if it's personal for her and it's right for her, nothing's right for everybody. And that's the real downside about just walking into a store and saying, I'll take it. Oh, and is that why we end up with those trends of, of everybody's got the, you know, and the, the harvest gold and avocado green absolutely, days? Absolutely, because people want to recreate things instantly, and, but they don't stop to do what you're talking about right now, is doing a heart-to-heart with your home and finding out what is going to make your life sing, that when you walk in that front door, what is going to soothe you, what's going to call to you, what's going to make you want to curl up with the book or say, Ah, I'm home. It has to be yours. It has to be specific to you. So whatever you like, may, your girlfriend may not like. Right. But that does, it doesn't matter. That's the point. So don't go with the trends. Go with your own personal style. Well, that's why I decided I would frame my kids' artwork. But I put, I took all of their, their they'd been painting oils all through school. And I painted, and I really splurged and bought some really nice frames. And I've got all cove ceilings and archways, so I don't have a straight line in my house. So when I chose the colors, this really pretty tan for the living room that's got a great old-fashioned bay window, and the the dining room, I really felt like I wanted a real burst of kind of energy, and we chose this really deep, really cheerful yellow, and because of the ceilings are curved, it goes all the way up and over the ceilings, and that's where I made a gallery wall of my kids' artwork that's framed in, in really lovely kind of... Uh, Frames. I mean, you know, it's, it's to me. It's I might as well have a Renoir or a, a Monet up there on the wall. They look so good to me. Exactly. And you did the, you did such an important thing. Is so many people just tack their kids' art on on the wall, or they put it on the refrigerator with right. magnets. And the best thing to do is to go out and get some frames and frame it. Because when your kids are gone away to college, or even older, like a minor in college now, I absolutely cherish these uh, their artwork that they did and. Just as you said, I think my kids' work, even though it doesn't compare to these major masters, to me, they're major masters because there's only one great kid in the world, and every mother has that child. Well, and one could argue, you know, walk through a, a contemporary museum, and if you see the big blue canvas with the red dot in the center, you could make an argument that you could paint that, too. <laughs> yeah. um. Have you done it, Libby? That's one of the things that I used to do a lot is go and look at art museums, and I go, oh, my God, I can't believe that would sell for $9 billion and I would go home and get a canvas and the kids and I would throw paint on it and we would do our own thing, you know. And it was like, okay, now we're artists too. But it's really fun to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I decided is I really wanted to to listen to what my – I've got boys and they're, they're, they're homebodies, but they're not into decorating. They just, you know, they want to make sure food's on the table and their computer and the televisions are working. But they really got involved in this and – they helped pick some of these colors, and one thing they told me also, not just about the colors but about the furniture, is my boys are tall. My, my older son was six feet tall at age 14. He's now six foot two, and they didn't think I had the proper seating in my living room because it just I, I needed a really long couch and a big love seat and a chair with an ottoman, and I changed out everything so that I could accommodate because what I wanted more than anything was to have everybody in the room at the same time and that they could stretch out and stretch those long legs and their buddies can come over and it's all kid friendly. I don't care who, you know, I, it's, it's, I, I, I tell them under a penalty of death if they drop chocolate or spill anything on the rug. But of course I don't really mean it. I can't wait for them all to be in the same room together and they just are so much more comfortable now 
because they feel like they've been listened to and their their needs and their long legs have been accommodated. And you did another very important design technique, and that was to include the family, including your kids. It's just so wrong to just decide what we're going to do. It's always important to ask them what colors they want their room, you know, what kind of, what style of furniture, and then you do it as a group decision. Now I bet you they're just thrilled with what they've done because they feel like they were part of the process. Oh, they were. They insisted on going with me to pick out the new couch so that they could flop on it. They wanted to make sure it was cushy enough and that they were comfortable on it, and they did. They really checked it out, and and I appreciated it. So and now, now you're going to be having Monday night footballs with all the guys. Exactly. That's when, when Justin, all from grammar school through high school, I, I watched these boys go from little boys to, as you said, six foot two, six foot three, and he'd have 15 guys over every Monday for Monday night football. And when they come home from college, now they're so big, and I look at them and it's like, oh my god. But you know, they needed the space to wrestle and have that fun. And as a mom, you want them to be at home, right? And I let them pick their colors, and now the next project is my younger son's room. He picked periwinkle and lemon yellow. I think those are beautiful together. I do, too, actually. And um, and he said I could pick which was the trim and which was the uh, the main color. And both of us decided that the, the lemon yellow is the main color and periwinkle, and there's a lot of trim in his room because the closet doors will all be painted periwinkle. And he took initials, I mean, took his first name, Zach, and took, uh, we bought wooden letters and he splatter painted those. That was his Jackson Pollock paint and we double stick taped them to the door and he had, he was very specific about this Zach going down the, in a zigzag design on the front door. And he suggested that we paint everybody's bedroom door a different color so that you see this is my space and it starts here. I love it. These are all terrific things. And see, the kids come up with the great ideas. Yeah, it was really, really interesting to see how interested they were in the process. And my older son, who's 16 and becoming very sophisticated, picked a kind of a sage green palette for his room. And he's got a lot, he's got a black bookshelf and he's got a gray and black desk. So it's very masculine. It's more grown up. And I think for him that that said more of a level of sophistication and maturity. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And it's something that he could, um, you know, depending how long he stays, but that will definitely grow with him. Right. And right. when he's gone away to college, it's going to be a great color just to have. Right. Because right. it's to a have color you'll moment. be able to live with. Right. That's exactly right. So that's the second success step is to consider those colors and the tone and feeling that you want to create for your family. What would you add to that, Cynthia? Well, I think you've added it all. I would say to um, include your family in the decision-making, and that is just so the most important thing is that you do it as as a family, and at the same time, you want to make sure that the colors flow from room to room. So I wouldn't suggest different color rugs in every room, you know, and maybe hardwood floors, and then you could put throw rugs or something if, if everybody wanted something different. But I think that just considering your family, asking what they want, and then finding the right tones and the right hues, that's just perfect. Because paint's easy. Paint's easy. And and they felt so good being heard. Yeah. That was the listening. It's the ears. You know, it's like, thanks, Mom, for listening to me. And then, of course, the last thing I thought, and this is for many of us, women in particular, we generally tend to be last on our own list. But I thought, we've talked about this before, creating that sense of, our own little personal sanctuary. So the last thing for me was to to find that little nest, that little area. And we talked about creating that that healing haven in our in our minds. 
but also to bring it into our physical space. And for me, that was my bedroom. And it was really to turn that into a little, it has a feeling of a little country inn almost, that I feel like there's not too much clutter, that the colors are, it's a, it's a deeper greens and um, some pale yellow. So it has a very fresh kind of European country inn feel to me that feels just cozy and it's mine, but it's, it's got a real sense of serenity. But I know I could, if I wanted to invite my kids, my little one will still come jump up on my bed and read with me. So it's that I've got this place of serenity, but I'm willing to share it. Oh, and but and, but it's also a getaway. Now, did you correspond doing a bathroom for yourself with your bedroom? You know, my bathroom is in the in the hallway, and if my my house is a 1946 house, it's the only room that had ever been remodeled, and they did it in a very bold blue and white, which I really actually like. But I added deep reds to that, which really seemed to wake it up. Oh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. That's really fun. So, and so you kept the reds then too. I don't, uh, my house is completely hardwood. Oh, see, that's the best, which I love. And yeah, even love- in the in the living room, that was one of the starting points. I have a great blue and brown and tan rug, and it's got just a gorgeous design in it, and it pulls all the blues and tans and browns all together in that one rug. Yeah, and that's the key, is that when you get a rug, if you can pull the colors from the rug and bring those up to your walls and into your furnishings, then your whole house flows, and mm-hmm. that's, that is very important. Mm-hmm. So the third success step, then, is to create a sanctuary for yourself so that you'll have some serene time, some downtime, and that healing haven. Right, exactly right. Well, recap the three success steps uh, when you want to have a house-to-house, I mean, a heart-to-heart with your house. <laughs> a house-to-house with your heart-to-heart. I know, I like that. Let's have a house-to-house with our heart-to-heart. <laughs> well, the first step is to walk through your house with a real critical but loving eye, starting at the front door. Figure out what that tone and mood is the minute you open the door. What do you want to create for yourself? The second step is to consider the colors, the colors that you want to bring into your life and the feeling and tone that you want to set for your whole family. And then, as you said, include them in the process. And the third step would be to really seek out some serenity for yourself. Have that blissful area, whether it's your bathroom. That's one thing I don't have in my house is that big spa bathroom. Next house I'll have that. Next house, yes, because that is where, um, that's my serenity. I mean, I love my bedroom and but my bathroom, too. I have the great big bathtub, you know, so I can light my candles, have my incense, lots of bubble baths, and um, and a glass of wine, and I'm sad. That's a good Saturday night to me. It is. It is. Well, I like these uh, success steps, and I hope everyone will take the time to take a heart-to-heart with their house. I wanted to check in with you and um, find out about your fitness, what's going on? Well, I've, I've got a cold. Everybody in my family has been passing around the same bug for the past week, and it's my turn this week. So I've, I'm, I'm more into resting in fluids right now than I am into working hard. But one thing I've decided to do, and this ties into what we're talking about, is to I've got a treadmill in my office. I'm going to add a DVD player and a TV because my kids have said if they had a TV out there, they'd be out there on the treadmill all the time. Well, see, there you go. So now you're going to be bringing the family together. So you've created this wonderful haven for them, and you bought them furniture that is friendly for them and that's family-oriented, and now you're going to get them um, into the exercise mood, too, because you're adding your TV and DVD player in the same area where you've got your treadmill. I that's think right. that's great. And how about you? How's well, it been going? Well, this week I have been um, doing a lot of gardening and running up and down my hills, 
fertilizing and composting and all of that. And then I also went to my physical therapist for my back, and it was hysterical. He goes, now, what kind of exercise did you do this week? And I said, oh, I've been running up and down my hill. He goes, you're the only person I know that says to me, you, that doesn't say I went to the gym. You're always talking about your garden or your barn. Well, that's so the way anyway, that was lots be. of fun. Lots of fun. Well, another wonderful uh, coaching corner. And, Libby, this, these were great success uh, tips. So, everyone, stay with us. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan. And Libby Gill, your success sisters. And go to LibbyGill.com for more information and expert advice for your life coaching and lots of ideas. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks for staying with us. This business of show business has all I want to be. I'm Mary Hart, and this is Empowering America. She was born in Newark, New Jersey in 1924. She was blessed with a beautiful voice, and by 19, young Sarah had entered and won an amateur hour contest at Harlem's famous Apollo Theater. A year later, singer Billy Eckstein invited her to join his new group, featuring the legendary Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and Miles Davis. Sarah, now nicknamed Sassy, dazzled all with the amazing flexibility of her voice. At 20 years old, she cut her first record and was fast becoming a legend among her fellow musicians. She joined Mercury Records in 1954 and embarked on the most prolific years of her career. Over the next three decades, Sassy toured the world and cut more records, her last in 1987. Three years later, in 1990, Sarah Sassy Vaughn passed away, leaving a gaping hole in the world of music. Empowering America is sponsored by the Foundation of American Women in Radio and Television and is made possible by the generous support of AT&T, caring for the communities where we live and work. Hear that? You just gotta love that sound. Really, it's one of this country's great treasures. The unmistakable sound of a nice California Chardonnay. There's nothing like it. Well, except of course for the sound of nails pounding lumber, building new homes across America, or states sizzling on the grill. In fact, 40% of American products are shipped by freight railroads. From computers to produce, we even carry trucks. Really, chances are the things you'll use tomorrow are taking the train today. 70% of new American cars, 40% of the grain harvest. More Americans depend on us than ever. Freight railroads contribute more than $31 billion a year to the U.S. economy. And since one freight train carries a load of up to 500 trucks, that means less fuel, less traffic. A better environment, a better tomorrow. Tomorrow, arriving by train. Sponsored by North America's Freight Railroads. Listen, the world is talking. World Talk Radio. Be the star you are with me, Cynthia Bryan, your personal growth coach, and thanks for staying with us. Every week, Be the Star You Are showcases incredible authors and experts who can enhance and inspire your life. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 charity dedicated to empowering families, youth at risk through improved literacy and positive message programming such as this radio show. For more information, go to be the star you are.org. Well, yesterday, as part of the charity of Be The Star You Are, I spent the day at Juvenile Hall, and I was talking with the probation officer about this incredible book that I've been reading called Unhooked, 
that is written by the Pulitzer Prize winner Laura Sessions Step. And we were talking about some of the kids in juvenile hall and as young as 13 and many of them who were in there for prostitution at such a young age. And we were all rather fascinated that this new society of youth are more into hooking up than having relationships. And, of course, the probation officers said, well, the girls here are at least charging for it. Anyway, it was a rather inspiring conversation, and uh, Laura is here with us today to talk about this incredibly well-researched and written book called On Hook. Welcome, Laura, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Well, thank you for having me on. Well, this this is fascinating. I've been working with kids for about 25 years, and I'm kind of a surrogate mom to lots of them, so this um, whole hooking up situation has been something that kids have been talking about for the last few years. However, it it never ceases to amaze me how uh, cavalier and casual it seems to be. And I really honor the fact that you were able to do all this research, to put it down in writing, and to be so non-judgmental, as my daughter would say, you know, thanks for being the ears. You just listened and wrote your observations. And then afterwards, uh, and you know, at the very end of your book, you talk about some advice that we could give. Let's talk about your journey in doing this, because you had written for the Washington Post, and it was really after you did a 1998 article on middle school kids that were having uh, oral sex that this kind of came to the forefront of American culture, that, this was, that sex was happening much earlier and that some of the things the kids just didn't even look at it even as sex. Well, and, middle, and, and oral sex was like that. Um, and this is before Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, I should add. So the kids were ahead of the president. Um, Maybe they influenced the president. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> he saw them and said, that's what I want to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were, uh, it, was, it was a story that I wrote for the front page of the Washington Post, and believe me, I had uh, we had some debates about whether to put the word oral sex on the front page. When you're, talking, when you're talking about eighth graders. But these were girls who were, shall we say, servicing the guys. And, and when I asked them what they, why they did it, they, this one girl said, because I thought it would make them like me. And I thought, oh, boy, you know, here we go again. Um, and she was, you know, 12 or 13 years old. So I, that started me interested in the whole culture, and I followed it through for years and wrote on and off about hooking up and, you know, friends with benefits and on how girls have become players just like the guys. Um, those weren't, of course, all the stories I wrote for the Post. I wrote about a lot of other things and a lot of good things that kids that age are doing, but this is one area of their lives that I think they are most uh, confused about, frankly. Well, and I think not only confused, I think it's really important for adults to get involved and to start talking to their kids more because as the research that you have uh, uncovered and chronicled in your book is that in our world today, parents are really taking comfort in the fact of thinking that there's less, uh, fewer pregnancies or less intercourse right. going on in high school. Right. But the reality is, is there's really a ton more sex going on, and it's sex without any feeling. Um, it's what you're talking about, how the girls want to be in control, and they're conquering the guys. And this is dangerous because is this going to be able to lead them to a relationship down the line? Well, that's the question. You know, it's... Um, 
I mean, in some parts of me, and I grew up in the late 50s and the 60s where I didn't want to sit at home and wait for the guy to call like my father wanted me to. Um, and in parts, so I want to say quickly that I think some of the, the new freedoms these girls have are, are good, but I think they've, some of them take it to an extreme. And, um, and what they find is that if they think, you know, you, um, you use the word they're cavalier and casual, they think that's what they can be. And what happens is that after they've hooked up with a guy, you know, they're checking their cell phones the next day. They're wondering why he didn't call. They want, they get really angry when he hooked up with someone else the following weekend. Uh, and so if they really didn't care about it, that shouldn't matter to them, right? Yeah, but, but it, the reality is, is that girls are, the girls are kind of wired a little differently than guys. Yeah, and, yeah. and, um, and so they are going to care. You talked about that jolt of oxytocin. Right. That the girls get, uh, after they or when they're having intercourse. Right. That makes them want to connect and hold right. and hug and kiss, whereas the right. men get the jolt of testosterone. It makes them right. you know, run away and, you know, go find bears. Yeah. Quest, right? <laughs> see, that's exactly right. See, I think that's very exciting and that girls don't understand that. They think if they feel connected to a guy after sex, there's something, you know, wrong with that. That makes them feel weak. And, in fact, it's hardwired in their body. It was nature's way of... Of it's the same chemical that mothers have when they give birth to their children. It makes you want to hold that person close to you and protect that person and, and care for that person. And if they realized that it was a natural way to feel, then they wouldn't. They would see it as a plus, not a minus. Well, you know, uh, one of the things that I was really fascinated with is uh, I, you know, grew up in the '70s, and when girls, there were always people that was, you know, part of that free love. Right. Love. And there were always girls that were willing to do anything with anybody, but we called them loosey-goosey peanut butter legs, and <laughs> which is still the term. That's a nice word. <laughs> yes, right, right. And, you know, it's, um, it was, what was interesting is that there were always a certain group that would do it. And in reality, none of the boys really liked them. I mean, they were just there for their, the peanut butter. And, but in today's day, it's crossing all cultures. It's crossing socioeconomic background, right. it doesn't matter if you're, if you're white, black, or green, it, this hooking up is going on at high schools and colleges across America. It has reached this tipping point. Right. That's what I say in the book. And so I followed nine girls, high school and college, through a year to see what happened to them and and how how they felt during that year. And I look at the influences that I think we don't think about sometimes in terms of uh, trying to empower girls in their careers and their education and in sports, all of which are good things, but we don't talk to them about that piece of their lives where power is different. It's not to say that you can't be powerful, but your power is not necessarily what a guy's power is. So, so those what are the I kinds got of conversations. from that when I was reading it is that the parents are trying to do a good job by empowering these girls and, like, you can be anything you want to be and, you know, you can you can really get any career, et cetera, but they've left out the relationship talking. Right. So that right. the girls are starting to want to act like boys or the perception of boys where you would just hook up and then forget about it. But um, And, you know, you did more than follow them. You really hung out with these. Yes, I did. You were at the bars with them. <laughs> you were, you know, you were there till late at night. I mean, you even said you had to take a nap or something. <laughs> I had to take a nap before I went out. I 
would too. Well, I tell you, you know, it's it's interesting to me though. People say, well, wouldn't I just kind of look at you weird? Here you are, this you know, fifty year old woman in the bar at two o'clock in the morning, and and isn't that kind of creepy? But you know, I I. It wasn't. I mean, first of all, I like some of the music. I've always liked young people. I have a son in that age group. I've always been the kind of mom who had kids over at the house, so I'm very natural with with young people. But also, I found that they wanted to talk to someone who would just sort of take their tell, let them tell their story. No, I I really agree with you because that's. I mean, so many of my clients that I work with are kids, and their parents bring them in because they want them to have an adult that they can talk to and they can ask advice and hopefully will steer them in the right direction because sometimes parents aren't talking to their kids or many times and the schools are not giving the information. But your book has given a lot of information and what I'd love to jump to is the, your last chapter of your book on loving yourself and some of the advice that, that you right. gave and the letter that you write to the girls, and I thought this that was letters to mothers and daughters, but I thought this is so important, and it's one thing to know about the hookup culture, but it's an, another thing to know how it's going to affect your daughters or your, you know, their lives and how they're going to feel about themselves. Right, right. Oh, I'm glad you liked the letter because I really had to think long and hard about whether as a journalist I should write something that was so completely non-journalistic. It's actually my favorite part. The book, by the way, is called Unhooked by Laura Sessions Step, How How Young Women Pursue Sex, Delay Love, and Lose at Both. And, of course, you named it Unhooked because that's part of hooking up, right? Is that's the defining unhook. characteristic of the hookup is the ability to unhook. To unhook. But the last one, let's talk about this idea of the good sex, bad sex, and respecting your body because you... What you saw out there was that both girls and boys wanted to talk, and they really did crave some advice. So they they liked hearing from you and liked hearing what you had to say about them. Right, that that's true. And you know, under good sex, bad sex, I say think erotic, not pornographic. I think they've completely missed the missed the boat there. I mean, erotic is giving someone a, a sense of who you are as a sexual being without giving everything away. And so much of their dancing and their dress and so, so forth is, uh, is is pornographic. It's giving everything away. Yeah, I mean, they're just bumping and grinding and, you know, it's, it's, it is pretty sad that because how are they feeling the next day? I mean, you, you um, when you chronicled these girls, I didn't get the feeling from reading their exposés that they were unaffected. I mean, especially when they met a guy that they really kind of liked. They didn't right. know how to be in a relationship. Well, that was true with Alicia, you'll remember, in the last section. She did have an eight-month relationship, and hers was perhaps the most successful because she was highly analytical throughout the whole time. But it was they had moments where they couldn't trust each other, they had some very difficult times they had to get through because both of them had hooked up extensively prior to that, and it had taught them nothing really about how to be in a relationship. And did you find um, that the kids, once they have hooked up a lot, that that becomes an issue when they are in a relationship if, of that trust is like, oh, my goodness, you hooked up so many times. If you're out of my sight, are you going to hook up again? Right. Right, that trust was huge. It was, and it's huge anyway, even in the best of relationships. 
Well, I know. think it is. I mean, again, I think it really, that's the hardest thing is that it's sometimes, it's not good to know all this. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not good to know all that background and how many guys you had. And I forget which one of the girls it was that you were asking how many. And it was like, oh, I don't know. I'm so excited because I'm like, I've had the most, 16 or 20 or 30. I mean, she wasn't quite sure, but she was like naming them all off. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, yeah, yeah. That was she was, then she couldn't even remember some of the names. Right, and now, she it, had like it, nicknames. Uh, it's important for me to say that not it's not always intercourse and. You know, these girls are not going all the way with 16 or 18 partners. I don't want to give people the wrong impression. Some of it is intercourse. Some of it's oral sex. Some of it is just what you and I would have called making out. Um, and so there are varying degrees of the hookup. Um, uh, n- nonetheless, it's, you know, it's when you look at the whole picture, there's, a, there's just an awful lot of it. Well, and one thing that was really frightening is this whole idea of date rape that we used to call date rape if something happened. But now because of the extensive use of alcohol, right. it's the girls, things are happening, and sometimes they don't even remember what happened, number one. And number two, they're not reporting anything as date rape because they're not sure. Right, or they think, like Alicia, who was in that situation twice, um, she said, uh, well, you know, I took my clothes off or I brought him back to the house. I said no, she said, but I didn't say it forcefully enough. And she she didn't tell me this until six months after I had known her. So it took her six months to even reveal this to me. And and so they, the, that's one of the worst things, I think, about this hookup culture is that it puts women and men in positions where they're doing things they do not want to do, and it is fueled by alcohol. Um, which then, of course, makes it even harder to remember what it was you did. So on a positive note, um, what do you think we're going to be able to do to empower our women and to empower our men and to use, you know, your sexuality and your bodies in a positive way? Uh, You talk about plan your dive and dive your plan. Right. Yep. Figure out what you want to do when you go out and go out, go with someone who's going to help you keep to it. you know, I I uh, I must tell you, I've gotten 150 emails since the book came out, and a number of women have said to me, you know, I I really am thinking differently about this. One said she had taken the pages of the of the letter and she had pasted them all across her walls of her room to look at every day. Um, I mean, I think if we as adults talk and maybe not to your own child because sometimes it's hard for kids to talk to their own parents but if we engage young people in asking them questions and getting them to think about what they're doing i think they can come to some good answers this is a very smart generation and and also i do think that if we can keep that dialogue going between mothers and fathers and our children because you point out very clearly in your book that it really does start at home. And instead right. of being so so determined to get the right career, you know, the, the right job, all these things that we want for our children, that we also include the fact that we want to have a loving relationship at some point. Right. And even the worst marriages, you can find some positive things about them. That's your, right. Your kids need to see in the marriage that, that that love is real and love is a wonderful thing. And it's okay if we as adults have made mistakes. Yep. Admit it and uh, make, you know, and say make mistakes. But as my daughter always likes to say, and she's in college, she when she talks to the guy, she goes, I'm a girlfriend, not just a girl. 
And yep. so it's like you don't have to be a hookup. You know, yep. you, if you want to have a relationship, they are there. And both men and women will respect one another more. Do you want to give out your website so the people Sure. They can go to uh, com or unhooked.laurastep.com. Either one of those will take them to my And Laura Step is L-A-U-R-A-S-T-E-P-P. Two P's in there. Again, right. the name of the book is Unhooked, How Young Women Pursue Sex, Delay Love, and Lose It Both. I highly recommend this book. I really think for all parents of boys and girls, not just the girls, this will give you some great information and research so that you can create a dialogue and a conversation with your kids at a young age before they go to middle school or high school. There you go. young, right? Absolutely. And make sex an okay subject, yep. not taboo. Absolutely. Well, Laura, you're delightful. Keep helping the kids out there because we can all use all the help we can get and one day you know they are going to be in great jobs and again you said you don't want to see their you don't want to have a webcam of pornographic pictures of somebody that's long gone that they don't remember the name of that's so exactly right very important to have some you know ethics here well thanks Laura for being Thank a guest you. on Star Style Be the Star You Are the name of the book again on Hooked Laura Session Step go to Laura Step com. Stay with us. We're going into the barnyard when we come back on Star Style. Be the star you are. I'm Cynthia Bryan. All I ever dreamed of is business of show business is most. World Talk Radio. Looking for answers to those uncommon questions? Looking for a way to heal? Looking for spiritual guidance? Come visit www.angelstoguideyou.com. We are all blessed with spiritual helpers, spiritual gifts, and spiritual healing. Get in touch with your spirit. Get answers. Get healing. www.angelstoguideyou.com. Remember, you're not alone. Angelstoguideyou.com. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Do you go with your gut? Successful decision makers realize victory is only achieved by strengthening your natural instincts. Consider the following tactics. Focus on solutions. Explore alternatives. Clear your mind. Listen to your heart. Breathe. Go into action and be proactive. Distinguish between decisions and outcomes. You have control of your actions, but not of the ultimate results. If you focus on preparing for the worst-case scenario rather than daring to see all the possibilities, you're going to gravitate toward being reactive instead of proactive. Trust your decisions. Develop your intuitive sense is similar to learning any new skill. The more you practice, the more proficient you will become. Your success is ultimately about the action you take based on how well you listen to your gut. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another Business Bite from Star Style. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am your personal growth coach, Cynthia Bryan, 
And my purpose in providing you this radio show is to commemorate and to communicate to you that you possess everything you need to be the writer, producer, director, and star of your own life. We hope you're smiling, having fun, and being willing to be wild and crazy. And make sure to visit the website of the charity, Be the Star You Are. Dot org that puts on this radio show. Well, author Bob Tart and I share something in common. I think we are both crazy, crazy, crazy about the animal kingdom, and we have huge adopted menageries to prove it. I thought I really had a, uh, a barnyard, but when you read Foul Weather, you will be howling out loud when you read about how 39 animals and one sock monkey took over Bob's life. Let's welcome Bob to be the star you are. Hello, fellow critter lover. <laughs> Hi, Cynthia. How are you? I had a great time, Bob, because like you, I take in abandoned and I adopt all animals, and I do not eat them either. <laughs> Good for you. No, we can't eat them, but I, I was so able to connect with your foul weather friends here that you actually have a lot of your animals living in your house with you. We do. Um, I, I, we don't have the ducks and geese and hens indoors. But, right, uh, but you have your bunnies. We have bunnies. Your cats. We have five cats now, so we're up even more from the book, and then we have a couple parrots and a couple doves and a few other birds. So, and it's just, it was just so funny. You are a great writer because you, uh, there's a chuckle in, in every single thing, in every single line. Oh, thank you. I assume you. that you have a sign outside your house, just like I do, that only the animals can see, and it says sucker. <laughs> <laughs> that must be because we've ended up with, uh, two more cats in about the past six months, and I don't know why they come here, or maybe I do know. Yes, they, you know, you know, because it's fun at your house. There's always action happening. <laughs> there is. It's chaotic every minute of the day. Well, the positive thing for you, though, is your wife, Linda, enjoys the animals as much as you do. Oh, she does. And uh, in addition to keeping our animals, Linda raises and releases orphan songbirds every summer. So. Oh, I laugh so hard because you love, I mean, she, the story that you had in there about the starlings, but... Uh, <laughs> and now they were just like gray little wisps flying here, flying there. But then you got your favorite, the Baltimore Orioles. Are you doing those as well? Um, we do them in season. We did some last summer. We also did a couple downy woodpeckers and a couple uh, birds related to whippoorwills. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's it's demanding and uh, most, mostly on Linda's time because she does the hard work. But, um, you know, it's a great reward when you open the cage outdoors and you see them fly off, and it's worth it. It is worth it. Well, your first debut, which was another uh, very funny book, was called Enslaved by Ducks. So it seems that the ducks really are the ducks the leader of the roost there for you. Well, in terms of sheer number, they certainly are. And uh, in a way, they're pretty demanding because I never thought ducks would be so much trouble. But uh, one reason they are a lot of trouble is we live in Michigan where, as you know, it gets very cold in the winter. And we have four wading pools for the ducks and the geese. And no matter what the weather, we change the water in those wading pools twice a day. And sometimes that means chipping ice. That's amazing. You, when you say wading pools, are you talking of, are your wading pools like kids' swimming pools? That's it. That's it. They're just okay, kiddie pools. That's what I did, too. I went down and bought swimming pools. I first dug a big pond for them. Bad idea. They fouled it up 
so quickly. That's right. That's right. Um, that's why you have to change the water. Exactly. Exactly. Ducks are stiff. For people who don't know about ducks, they are very messy. Well, of course, you want to read Foul Weather or Enslaved by Ducks, and you'll find out a lot. But um, they're they're fun animals, but they are messy. And some of them will run around and, and kind of uh, chase you and peck you and all of that. I cried with you, too, when you lost your animals. We have a whole pet cemetery. Oh, yeah. It's a tough thing. It's really hard, isn't it, because you get really uh, attached to it. You know, you were talking about your bunny that you had on your lap, and your your little bunny would be on your lap every night. And, and the one night that you said, you know, I'm going to really miss you when your time comes to go. And the next, money, the next morning the bunny was dead. That, yeah, that uh, was just, I was so devastated that it reminded me of a time. My animals have always worked with me. And I've worked in modeling and acting, so if I wasn't modeling or acting, my animals were modeling and acting. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I had this one Dutch bunny one time, Bob, and he never got chosen for any of the jobs, and all his other bunnies, all the other bunnies in my menagerie were working. So one day he got booked, and I ran out and I told him, oh, good, tomorrow you're working. It's going to be so much fun. And I go out in the morning, and he had passed on. Oh, no. I know. And oh, it was like, no. I think he got too excited that he was finally going to get to go to work. So I guess so, he just he just wasn't made for a career. Well, you know, so when I read your thing, I thought, you're right. There's certain things we shouldn't tell our animals because they may make it come true. I know it. They're awfully smart. They, they can really tell what's going on. They know a lot more than we give them credit for. So tell me about the aliens now. So what's happened with the creature in the woods and all the aliens that have... Uh, Come into your life. <laughs> well, there's been nothing new, but uh, the aliens uh, or the creature in the woods, I still don't know what that was. I heard a sound in the middle of the night that I talk about in the book, and what's so odd is it sounded like a primate. It was a whooping sound, and I've looked all over the Internet. Uh, I've listened to every kind of sound from coyotes to foxes to owls. I can't figure out what it was, and this was in the middle of January. And, uh, and we also I had a couple of... Of ghost the animals out there in January because it'd be too cold, right? That's right. So I don't know what the heck it was. I, I, I just can't figure it out. We had a couple of ghost cats in the basement too, and it was a cat that I saw and was plainly there for a couple seconds. And by the time I registered, wondering, well, what cat is that? It was gone. So you maybe you have maybe you have heaven. Maybe heaven is there. And so, you know, maybe the animals just really and truly, when they cross over, they really don't want to. They would rather stay at the Tart family farm. And <laughs> that must be it because we wait on them hand and foot. Exactly, exactly. Well, I loved it when you were talking about, well, what about Michigan mon- monkeys? There must be Michigan monkeys, right? <laughs> well, I was hoping there were Michigan monkeys because then that would mean I wasn't crazy or, or at least that Bigfoot wasn't outside my door yes right well i think those of us who love our animals they we other people probably look at us as being absolutely totally crazy absolutely but you know i love this kind of crazy don't you would you want it any other way no i I can't live without them now i'm I'm just i'm just so used to all the schedules and all the nurturing and of course they nurture me too so um, and there's something going on every minute of the day. And it's, it is round the clock, just as, as you said. Yeah, there's always something happening. But, you know, in my family, unlike you, my husband doesn't quite share my passion for <laughs> all my animals. And he does like the dogs, and he does like the cats. He likes 
some of the birds, you know, he'll like like the doves and the cockatiels. He doesn't like the pheasants, and he hates the roosters and the geese. Oh, I love the geese because they're they're so emotional, and you can talk to them, and they'll honk back at you. Well, and I they're just, smart. Oh, they are smart. I just love them. Do you have goats? I didn't read anything about goats. No, we we don't. We just have birds. Yeah, um, there's pictures of all of the animals, or most of the animals, in both of my books on my website, if I can mention it. It's yes, just, please. It's bobtart.com, right? That's it. B-O-B-T-A-R-T-E dot com. And there's pictures of the animals from Enslaved by Ducks and also the animals from my book, Foul Weather. So how many par- Do you still have three parrots? Um, we have two African greys and uh, a cockatiel. Unfortunately, we lost Ollie, the little green pocket parrot, but he was pretty old for a pocket parrot. He was close to 14. Yeah, that is old. But the other parrots can live to, what, 50 or something? Uh, that's what I hear. That's yeah, what I hear. so they could, they're definitely going to be, can live a, a really long time. So are you working on the next foul book? I am. I'm, I'm just starting. I'm working on the third outline. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm getting going on it. So it, how does it work for you writing with all the animals? Or do you find that some of them are coming and sitting on your lap? Or did, did you write with the bunny on your lap? Because uh, I like to have my animals around me. Yes, I, I end up having an animal or a cat on my lap quite a bit when I'm writing. And uh, I hear them. Uh, I'm upstairs in my office, but I hear the parrots and they lure me downstairs. So it's a good excuse to take a break from writing is to go downstairs and play with a parrot for a while. Yeah, see, that's your, this is your downtime. So when people tell you that you're just, what's the matter with you having all these animals, what you're saying is that this is how you relax. No matter how much work it is, it's really play. Yeah, it's become my life in every sense. And um, I think uh, it's sort of... Uh, represents kind of a nice balance with the natural world in general because a lot of people, they don't really look too closely at animals and and think of them as individuals. And we've noticed that, I'm sure you've noticed this too, every single hen, every single duck is absolutely an individual. Yeah, they're all, they're absolutely so different. And I know each of their personalities, and I have goats as well who that I adore. I love goats. We don't have them. Oh, Linda, and Linda I have a pop-belly like pig too. Oh, you do? I do, I do. And her name's Miss Piggy. The kids name everybody, you know. <laughs> but uh, she's just hysterical. You scratch her stomach and she'll roll over and fall asleep. Does she live indoors or outdoors? No, everybody lives outdoors at my uh-huh. house. Yeah, that's smart. Because, well, do you know, <laughs> I, my husband says that I must be um, masochistic because I am totally allergic to, like, all, uh, the, you know, all the dust and the hay and the, the feathers, and I'm with them all the time. So, wow. So in order not to be constantly sneezing, they're outside in the barnyard or, you know, just outside in the garden, but I'm still with them, but they don't sleep with me or anything. Yeah, yeah. But I, well, but I have my windows open so I can hear them, the same thing. Uh-huh, it's nice, isn't it? it oh, I love it. I'm I love surprised it. sometimes when people come to our house and uh, the birds are all making a lot of noise. I don't even much hear them anymore, and they'll, they'll say to me, boy, do you get used to that noise? And for a minute I think, what noise? Well, and it's not noise to you. No. Oh, it it's isn't. music. I would rather I would rather be listening to my birds um, than to have music on because to me the sounds of nature are so melodic and they're soothing. So like you, it's it's not noise. It's just it makes me feel good. 
It's interesting you should say that because I've sort of stopped listening to music because I'd rather hear the birds and also, um, you know, I don't want to assault their ears in any way. We we play music quietly for them all day, though. But See, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and they're talking to you the whole time. They it are. It also sounds like you have a lot of pals around in your area that um, have lots of different animals too. I mean, like when you needed, when you wanted to go get another bunny. I mean, you seem to find people that have that are raising other birds and other animals, so that you must ha- be in an area where there are a lot of people with animals? Well, yeah, you've probably found, too, that once you kind of get into the network of other people who have animals, um, you soon get more than <laughs> more than you would want or need. Well, you mentioned in your book about the feed store. You know, I get everybody calls me from the feed store. I'm at the feed store once a week picking up my 50-pound sacks of food. <laughs> <laughs> and I always say, you know, I, I, they say, okay, what do you have to, why do you have to drive an SUV? Well, because I've got chicken food and <laughs> rabbit food and horse food. You know, I've got hay. Everything's in the back. Well, your book is loads of fun, and we'll look forward to the next one. Foul Weather is the name of the book, and Foul is F-O-W-L, Weather, and it's by Bob Tart. His other book, if you want to get both, because they're really fun, is called Enslaved by Ducks. And visit his website so you can see all the pictures of all his critters at bobtart.com. That's B-O-B-T-A-R-T-E. Dot com. Well, thank you, comrade, for thank you. Thank you your so animals. Much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Go Good out. Please give my love to everybody. Tell them that they're on the radio today. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Bob. You've Bye-bye. been listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style. Be the star you are. Make sure to tune in every week right here for expert advice, success coaching, and the renowned authors from around the globe because you can change your life and make your dreams come true. For more information about Star Style, visit star-style.com. And for Be The Star You Are charity, go to bethestarur.org. Until next week, let's celebrate. Live in the moment. Be the star you are. Thanks for joining me. I'm Cynthia Bryan. See you next week. Every special You're an artist, a poet who will never give up. So make all your dreams.